Welcome everyone. This is Kamala Character. Class number six. Yep, six. Six. Thank you. Class number six or second class of the second season. Depends how you see. Um, we were learning, we were talking about how to develop your character according to Kabbalah. And we said that we're going to focus, this course focuses on getting to know yourself, what is your DNA, what is your genetic makeup on a soul level, and understanding that, so then we're able to focus in the areas that we need to improve. As we see it in the chart over here in this um, design, this picture, that is, or that at least represents what the verse says that God created the human being with the image of God. The same image or the same powers is not, of course, a physical image, but it's, it's a concept. It's a, it's a total sum of a lot of concepts and powers that the human being has in his, uh, inside of him. And getting to know that, so then we're able to become a better person, evolve our character. We mentioned that when it speaks about God, these powers or this image, they're called sefidot. And when, when, when we talk about the human being, the way they're reflected in the person, they are called midot. And the, the refining of the midot is what we are um, aspiring to. So up until now, we talk about, in the previous classes, we spoke about the cognitive powers, or even, even higher than that, the transcending power, and that was Keter. We spoke about the cognitive or mental powers, that's the, um, the mindsets and the, the root of our emotions. Then we spoke about, last class, we spoke about um, the emotions of Chesed, which is kindness, and Gvura, which is um, severity, Or limitation, antifedet, that is the both of them combined. And then now we're gonna talk, this class is gonna focus on Netzach and Hod. As we see in the chart, they are the last side by side powers of a human being. Netzach and Hod, and we're going to explore in the Kabbalistic what does it mean. What, what, what does it mean according to Kabbalah, and how can we apply that to our lives? T today, meaning this past day, we celebrated Purim Katan, or the small Purim. We are in a leap year, and the leap year has two Adars. Two, the month of Adar is being duplicated this year. So we not only have one Adar, we have two Adars. Purim and the, and the holiday of Purim happened in the 14th of Adar. And when it's a leap year, we celebrate, and all celebrations happen essentially in the second Adar. But as well, since the power of and the energy of Purim is in the 14th of Adar, so we also celebrate a small Purim, or what's called Purim Katan, in the first Adar, which is, which is this past day was Purim Katan, and we celebrate it. So we're going to see how this class is linked to Purim Katan as well, and we're going to see how the, the persistence and the conviction that the Jewish people had, and how that could translate to our daily lives. Okay, page 147. We'll start from my left side. Um, Annette, I want to read page, um, yeah, 147. Yeah. Success, it has been said, is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Those who are willing to work hard and persevere despite adversity with time will usually move to the front of the pack. This is a function of the Sefirah of Netzach. Those who acknowledge and thank others along the way, rather than trying to grab all the credit for themselves, may find that humility is at the root of true glory, as we deduce from the Sefirah of Hod. So Nesach and Hod, in general terms, one is persistence, 
and, and, and conviction, and the other one is gratitude and recognition. Netzach and Hod, as we see from the chart, they both are der- derivatives from Chesed and Gvura. So we have Chesed and Gvura, that those are emotions or feelings inside a person of being kind or being severe. And Netzach and Hod are the way they express an action. So to have uh, the one who has a greater chesed, or the one who has a greater that wants to give, has a, 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 a more impactful netzach, and the one who has a greater gvura also has a more um, powerful and impactful hod. So we're going to see in the course of the class how that plays along. Okay. So we'll see in the according to Kabbalah, what, what is netzach about? So yeah, you want to read text number one, page 148? Sure. Netzach has several meanings. Among them are victory, netzachon, and eternity, netzhiyut. Common to both these ideas is a sense of the initiative and perseverance necessary in order to overcome the resistance to bringing thought and feeling into positive action. Victory assumes initiative and self-confidence. Eternity implies persistence and dedication. So that's according to Kabbalah, and that's the point of Netzach. Netzach is victory. That's a translation. But the concept of Netzach is to be persistent, to, to hustle, to, to do it even when it's not glamorous. Nowadays, it's very popular to, um, what's the word, to, um, to, to push through or to hustle, I think that's the word. You know, to hustle in business or whatever it is, that's the, that's the aspect and the soul power of Netzach, that we do it even when it's not, when it's not, um, uh, when it's not um, appealing. And as well, that creates a nitzchiyut. Nitzchiyut is, is also eternity. So netzach could be translated as of nitzachon, but as well as nitzchiyut. And these two ideas come out from the power in the soul of netzach. So practical perspective, how do we see that? Or how could we um, perfect? Or how can we um, develop that power in ourselves? Uh, Ethan, you want to read text number two? On the third day... Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar. On their way back to Mount Moriah, their path was blocked by a big river. Undeterred, undeterred, Abraham immediately waded into the river until the water came up to his knees. He told the lads accompanying him to follow him, and they also waded in the river. Halfway through the river, the water was up to his neck. At that moment, Abraham raised his eyes to heaven and said, Master of the worlds, you appeared to me and told me to offer up my son Yitzhak before you. I did not protest. Here I am, occupied with fulfilling your command, but the water has almost reached my soul. If I or my son Yitzhak should die, who will fulfill your words? The Holy One, blessed, blessed be he, replied, By your life, through you, my name will be unified in the world. Immediately the river dried up, and they stood on dry land. So this is according to the Midrash story that it's not written in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the Chumash itself. Although the Chumash sp- speaks about the whole um, story of Abraham bringing up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. But doesn't, in the Torah itself, it's not written the whole story. So the Midrash fills in things that happen for us to take a lesson. So we see from here two things. We see from here, number one, the reason for us to be persistent and to have a perseverance. And Abraham says that in the statement. He says, if I or my son Yitzchak should die, who will fulfill your words? Abraham wasn't going, or the source of Abraham's power to push through wasn't because because of ego thing or because, you know, he, he, he wanted, he wasn't the root of the reason that pushed him through, that kept, kept him going. It wasn't started by him. It was st- something that, Hash- that Hashem needed from Abraham. God needed from him, I need you to do the X, Y, Z. So therefore, since Hashem needs me to do X, Y, Z, so the, the argument is, it needs to get done. Th- there cannot be any obstacles. So that's what Abraham was saying to God. There is a river here. What do you mean there is a river? I mean, we, we're going to do your word. It, it, it cannot be a river. If this is what you need, it, there's no other way. 
needs to be fulfilled, needs to happen. So it's not from a place of I wanted to or I decided that, you know, I want to make this business happen because I want to have a lot of money. So, so that is the argument, at least according to Kabbalah. And, and that is a valid argument for me to go ahead and, you know, and, and, and make, it happen, make it happen. Although that is something that also an approach that people should be taking. But if you take it at the core, according to the Torah, it's not because you decided that you want to do something, but it's because Hashem needs you to do something. So on, on, on that base, so there's just nothing, nothing that could be stopping from, from fulfilling the will of God. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about you, it's about what you need to get done. So that's number one we see from the story from the Medrash, why Abraham was able to succeed. Number two we see from the story is that when Abraham was walking through, he, the, the river um, disappeared or dried, got dried, dried out. And this is something that uh, this is something that happens with all of us. This is very common challenge that people go through. That before, when you were standing in front of the challenge, it seems like it's something that is a river is going to drown you. It's going to be impossible. You're not going to be able to do it. But once you actually go through, once you actually start with that challenge, so you see that it was not as difficult. It was not as challenging as you thought. That doesn't uh, take away, you know, that things could be challenging. But that does say that a lot of times we create the challenge in our mind way more than what really is. And sometimes it's just a matter of going through or approaching or looking the challenge in the face and, and, and taking it on to see that eventually the water will dry out. Sometimes it's the opposite too, though. Meaning? Like you think something's very easy and then it turns into a river. You start something. And... That's true. But that's true. And I think that it's always important to recognize if it's important for, you, for your purpose or if it's something that you decided that needs to be important. I think that is, that is the distinction over here. And that is what we really see from the argument to Abraham. Abraham wasn't saying, look, I want to go through it or I want to do it or I want to get it done. So please, God, help me. That wasn't his argument. His argument was like, you asked for this. I mean, I didn't come up with this idea. You want it to happen? Okay, so it needs to happen. So it's not really about a, a personal decision that when I think uh, a lot of times if he, if someone takes something personal and then he gets into a whole, you know, quagmires and then he, that, that becomes very challenging. But when it's the opposite, it's something that it's the per- person's mission. And now, you know, he needs to fulfill that mission or act on that mission. The challenge usually is that we think that Approaching that will, will drown us. Could be so, so silly examples. Um, what do I mean? I'm going to go out in the street and start asking people, offering them in the middle of the bell line if they want to put on filling. It's, you know, uh, uncomfortable for them, what they're going to think about me. These are all things that I tell myself, and that's why I don't do it. But actually, when I do it, people enjoy it, and it's, and it's not a challenge. Meaning that just something needs to get done. People need to engage with their Judaism. Now, the challenge is, or the challenge that someone envisions, is this whole river of things. But actually, it, it's non-existence. Once you approach it and start doing it, it's non-existence. In work, or, or whatever it is, we say, like, no, I cannot introduce this aspect of either my Judaism or, or my morality. I'm not going to, you know, everyone in work has, as, 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 I don't know, uh, shorting stocks. I'm not going to not do it, you know. Everyone is doing it. I'm going to do it as well. Well, that's not something immoral, of course, but, you know, um, whatever it is, suddenly we think that introducing something that, that, that fulfills our mission is going to uh, drown us, and we see that that doesn't happen. Most cases. That's number one. And also the example we see, uh, another example is when someone is scared of, of going into a room that is dark. That... Um, scarcity is valid if the person doesn't have a candle. In other words, if a person decided by himself that he wants to go there or, or doesn't really have connected to a high p- 
power, a higher source. So the, it is scary to go there. And, you know, the darkness might, might, may affect him. But if a person is connected, if a person has a candle, and as, 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 as the verse says, that... Um, that, 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 the, that, the, that the Torah and, and the teachings of the Torah, this is, is light. So then approaching a challenge, you know, first may seem to be dark, but if we have clarity within us, once we go in there, it will be clear as well. Because we have the candles. As soon as we go in there, the darkness goes away. And that's the approach that, that, uh, that the Rebbe took um, to his Hasidim and to the whole world, that nowadays we cannot fight darkness with stones and sticks. It's not an approach that works. If you want to fight darkness, you have to introduce light. So if you want to fight darkness, any darkness, whatever it is, you have to introduce light. You have to introduce connection to Hashem and more godliness. That is what actually illuminates and brings forth clarity in the situation and in the challenge. Pim story with um, Bibi Netanyahu, when he was when he was representing Israel in the UN, in the UN, yes, he had a he had a private audience, or he was by dollars with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe told him that he's working in a house of darkness, and his challenge <coughs> is to light a candle, and although the candle might be very small. But the light of a candle takes away the thick darkness. And the clarity becomes very, very um, visible right away. That's what the Rabbi told him. And Netanyahu, a few years ago, when the whole Iran crisis was happening, it was like, what, five years ago, I think, something like that? He, he, he repeated, he went to the UN and he repeated his story. He said, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. He said, like, you went to visit Lubavitcher Rabbi. And he said that you're in a house of darkness, basically, in the UN saying you're in a house of darkness. Um, and my job is to light a candle. But that's not only Bibi Netanyahu in the UN. That's every single one of us approaching a, a challenge. And where the power comes from, where this power comes from to, to, even though that it's dark, to nevertheless, nevertheless go there is the, the, the Netzach. If you have clarity, and, and, and our, our nitzachon or nitzchiyut in our soul be able to tackle any challenge and as we're going to see in text number 3 from very famous sage and a very famous role model of Jewish people uh, Ethan you read, yeah, Ethan read already um, Josh, you want to read text number 3 mm-hmm. what, were Akiva's, <coughs> what were Akiva's beginnings? It is said, up to the age of 40, he had not yet studied a thing. One time, while standing by the mouth of a well in Lod, he inquired, who hollowed out this stone? And was told, Akiva, haven't you read in scripture that water wears away stone? It was water from the well falling upon it constantly day after day. At that, Rabbi Akiva asked himself, is my mind harder than this stone? I will go and study at least one section of Torah. He went directly to the schoolhouse, and he and his son began reading from a child's tablet. Rabbi Akiva took hold of one end of the tablet, and his son took hold of the other end. The teacher wrote down Aleph in that form, Aleph to Tav, and he learned them. The book of Vayikra, Leviticus, and he learned it. He went on studying until he knew the entire written Torah. Then he went and sat before Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua, Joshua, my masters, he said to them, reveal the logic of Mishnah to me. When they told him one ruling, he went off to reason by himself. He kept coming back, kept inquiring of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua until he reduced his teachers to silence. Rabbi Simeon ben Eliezer said, I shall tell you a parable to illustrate what Rabbi Kiva did. He was like a stone cutter hacking away at a mountain range. So the perseverance. So we see from here Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva was... Uh, very uh, one of famous very uh, sage of the Talmud he started his journey in learning Torah at the age of 40 so you know people say I'm too late it's not such a thing um, but where Rekiba got or the message what, what turned him on was the fact that he saw that although that is something like droplets of water but if it's consistent 
and, uh, and, and, and if he's perseverant, he'll be able to drill through his heart. The Torah will be able to penetrate himself. Um, and that is also part of the power of, of Netzach, that we see more in the aspect, in the, in the translation or in the explanation of an Itzchiyut, something that is consistent, something that is, uh, perseveres, that is what brings forth results. This is not only um, this idea, although we get it from the Talmud, but we also see it in not many other places, perseverance and, 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 and having the, the, the showing up every single time. We have it in leaders of, 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 today's, of today's world with Abraham Lincoln. He was one of the Founding, father, founding fathers, but he was a very um, prominent president, changed course of history to the United States. And his life, and I know all the details, but apparently he, he was born in poverty. He, was, he has a very rough childhood. Then he went into politics. He was being mocked, and he ran for like eight or ten times. Basically, he, persever- he, he had a lot of perseverance in order to get what he wanted to get. So... I don't know if his, his perseverance was on a, on a godly way, maybe it was just what he decided to do, but this action is what brings the results that Netzach could um, contribute. As we see in text number four, Zach, you want to read? Yeah. <clears throat> the probability that we may fall in the struggle ought not deter us from the support of a cause we believe to be just. It shall not deter me. And there's many stories, or many other stories of people. There's a story of, of, of a violinist, Perlman. What's his name? Yitzhak Perlman. Yes. Yitzhak Perlman. Some say that this story didn't happen, but say it anyways, that he basically, he was suffering from, um, from polio disease, so he wasn't able to really walk. And he was having, there was a concert that he was going to play. And, you know, he, he, he just took time until he was able to accommodate himself and, and, and sit down and, 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 and start playing. And after a few notes, he starts playing. The concert starts. One of the strings snaps. So, you know, people are, either they replace it. It's going to take a few minutes, whatever. But he surprisingly says to the conductor, continue. And he, he they continued, and he, he basically got the notes from, from that, uh, from, from the challenge of, of, of not having that, that extra, or not extra, but the string that he, he needed, he forced himself to get out the, the notes that he wanted. And at the end, of course, when he finished the concert, like people were blown away because he played with, uh, with uh, less one string. But the, the, the moral of the story, the point of the story is that in Tzchiyut, when someone comes with the persistence and, and really taps into the power of Netzach, so that big C and that big challenge that we thought that is in front of us is going to draw on us, it goes away. So that's the ability of, of tapping into the power of Netzach. Also one of the the story goes with the with the sixth Chabad Rebbe that he he was imprisoned because of his activities in educating and education and spreading Judaism in Soviet Union, which was against um, the was against the nation was against the the, the comrades. So so he was in prison and he was about to get killed. By miracle, he didn't get killed. But he, when, he, when, he, when the trial started, he made a decision to himself that he's on a mission and what he needs to accomplish needs to happen. So he's not going to bow down. There's nothing to bow down. There's nothing to hold back or, or to, um, or to um, um, or to say yes to or to disagree. Not disagree. When, when, when people make concessions, it's a word. The, Compromise. He's not going to compromise with anything, meaning of the, the works of spreading 
um, Jewish teachings, is not going to compromise anyone with that decision from the beginning that that's what he's going to do and that's what's going to happen. And that's what eventually he, he by miracles, um, he got saved and eventually escaped Russia. But that ability to, to come in and to decide for yourself that you're standing strong and whatever challenge comes to you, you're going to take it as, as, as a sea or as darkness that is just dark because you haven't got there yet. You have a candle. Of course, you need to have a candle. You know, that's the key. If you have the candle, so there's, there's, no, there's no darkness that can scare you as soon, soon as you're there. So then the darkness goes away. <coughs> there's a story of, uh, of, of this Chalamite. And, and uh, he finds his friend in the street looking under a, under a lamp. They were looking, look, he was looking. So these friends asked him, what are you looking for? I was like, well, I lost my, I lost my watch. So they're looking, so their friend starts helping him out, starts looking also. After a few minutes, it's like, where do you lose your watch? I was like, oh, like two blocks down. It's like, what are you looking here? Oh, because there's light over here. You know? So the idea that when there is light, the, the challenge goes away, but at the same time, well, I don't know if the joke was so in point, but anyways. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a journal exercise. But, yeah, think of an incident where an obstacle prevented you from reaching a goal, was the obstacle instrument insurmountable? With hindsight, what could you have done to overcome the obstacle and preserve? And preserve? Persevere. Anyways, okay. Do that after the class. We're gonna continue with um, the next text. Text number five. This is also a derivative from the power of Netzach. Elizabeth. A young woman was admitted for treatment because of her heroin addiction. All of her veins had become extracted from injecting herself with narcotics, which resulted in multiple abscesses. This otherwise attractive woman was a pathetic sight because of the many lesions. In the admission interview, she told me that she was a nurse and had easy access to drugs. She had used sedatives for insomnia and Percocet for menstrual cramps. These were taken on her own, not prescribed by a physician. She became addicted to both medications, and when she feared that the hospital would note that the drugs were missing, she began using street drugs, eventually gravitating toward heroin. The narcotic habit resulted in her being unable to work, and after using up all of her savings, she sold everything, including herself, for money to buy drugs. I noted that she was wearing a locket and asked her why she had not sold it for heroin. She said that it was her mother's and that she would never part with it. I asked her to show it to me. After she handed it to me, picked up a sharp instrument and acted as if I were about to scratch the locket. What are you doing, she asked with a tone of panic. Just scratching it up a little bit, I said. Why do you want to do that? Oh, it's just something I like to do. But that's mine. I know, I'll give it back to you. But I don't want it all scratched up. It's beautiful and it's valuable to me. You mean that when something has beauty and value, you do not allow it to be marred and ruined, I asked. Then taking her hands and showing her the bruises and abscesses, I said, do you see what this says? These self-inflicted wounds are a loud statement that says, I am not beautiful, I have no value. People who do not have a sense of self-worth are prone to do destructive things to themselves or to inadvertently allow themselves to be injured. Overcoming self-defeating behavior requires self-esteem. Many problems that bring a person to a psychotherapist's office are the result of this kind of self-devaluation. Sustained recovery from any, from any self-destructive lifestyle requires a change of attitude, one that promotes a positive rather than a negative self-image. Yeah, this is from Rabbi Dr. Tversky, psychologist. And what he's, with, what he's saying over here is basically, up until now we mentioned about challenges that come from outside of us. For example, that river that we see, or the darkness that we see you know, far away. So, and we don't want to approach it, because it, it, it's challenging. But what if the challenge doesn't come from something outside of you, rather comes from inside of you? something that you would want to go there because in, as your personality is just not comfortable there or because you're not, you don't seem worthy of, 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 of gaining whatever you're going to gain from that challenge. It's more of an internal struggle than, than a struggle of, of approaching the challenge on, on what the challenge will, will, will cause you. Rather, if you are even have the power or if you're worthy of tackling that challenge. And the, from the story, we see that the attitude of, of valuing who you are, or knowing who you are, that is 
essential for, for being, to being able to tap into the power of Netzach and, and to confront the challenge in an inner way. If we don't have the appreciation, as this lady, as this woman um, was lacking, that a person itself is valuable and someone has something specific to contribute to society that no one else can contribute, no one, uh, any of the other billions of people on the planet can contribute whatever you are able to contribute. So then you have something valuable and you're precious. What you need to accomplish is something valuable. So the same way as she didn't want something that is precious to get damaged, if we're able to take that image upon us and really see ourselves at the core of who we are, and this is going back to that underlying um, theme that we spoke in the past classes, that we have the way we grew up and the, and the, and the, and the baggage that we pick up along our um, growing up journey, but then we have who we are without all that baggage. And if we're able to tap in and if we're able to really connect to who we are without all that baggage, so then we're tapping and we're able to tackle challenges in a much more powerful way. There's a story as well with Rabbi Manis Friedman. And he once got a call from, uh, from, a, from a mother that said that my son is suicidal and he's now, uh, he's now in, a, in, a, in, in a clinic and you know he wants, I want a rabbi to go speak to him. We tried a doctor, it didn't work. We tried a, 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 whoever was, whoever chaplain, chaplain was there, it didn't work. So we're asking if you can come and see, see our son. I said, okay. So he travels, was a few hours away, um, gets to the, to the clinic, goes in to see this kid, teenager. The teenager was reading a book and didn't even like look at him. And right away said, are you gonna say the same thing that everyone is saying? And the rabbi was like, I don't know what everyone is saying, but tell me, what, what is everyone saying? Saying, are you going to tell me that God loves me, that's why I should not kill myself? And Rabbi Friedman was like, um, actually, someone who's brat like you, I, it's hard for me to imagine that God loves you. So uh, that, was not, that was not where I was going. I was not going to say that God loves you. Um, and, and, and that was not the, the, the approach of the conversation. So then the kid like puts his book down, looks up and he's like, so what are you gonna say? Or someone said, so Rafiman told him, being loved the way you're behaving might, it might be very challenging, but being needed, being needed, although you're behaving like this, you're still needed. And if you're, if you're alive today, it's because you have something to fulfill. So although, you know, it might be very hard to love you, and God, of course, loves you, but that's irrelevant to the fact, or it's not irrelevant, that it's not as important as the fact that God needs you, and that's where I'm in this world. We're not in the world because of circumstance, because, you know, parents met, and, you know, they married, and that's why I'm here. It's a very secular, very... Removing God from the picture. Everyone who's born has a mission. Everyone who is born has something to contribute. And if he's still alive, if you're still alive, so that means that your job hasn't, hasn't finished yet. And that was a message that he said to the kid. And I think the end of the story is that the kid got better, but it's more important in life, or it's more valuable in life, to be needed than to be loved. Specifically now, it's very popular you love him, you don't love him. Love is that deciding factor in a lot of relationships. So a lot of relationships, yeah, they start on love and they could finish on love, but it's more powerful relationships that are come from a place of, I need, I, you, you are there for the other one. Not because you're fulfilling uh, a, a, a feeling to the other person, but because something that you, only you could bring 
to this person's life or to, in, in a macro level, to God himself. Yeah, makes sense? Okay. And as we're going to see from Tanya, text number six, we're going to see how uh, this is um, in, uh, in the human being. Okay. Shachar, um, I want to read text number six. <clears throat> Truly and without doubt, I am far removed from God. Yet all this is only me, that is to say, the body with its life force. Yet there is within me a true part of God, which is found even in the most worthless. This is the divine soul, which sparks of true godliness, which is, uh, excuse me, clothed within, uh, within it and gives it life. Except, except that it is, the, is in a state of exile. I shall therefore make it my whole aim and desire to extricate, extricate, mm -hmm. yeah, the soul and liberate her uh, from this exile in order to restore her to her father's house, as in her youth. So Tanya refers over here to the godly soul or to who we are at the core, and says that when we are not behaving, or when we are acting out of our, out of our baggage or, or being triggered by things we've pick up, picked up along the way, what we're basically doing is we're placing the godly soul in the state of exile in our behavior or in the current behavior or in the behavior that we're having then that is not appropriate. But at the core, although the, the, the godly soul might be in exile, that doesn't mean that it's not there. And that doesn't mean that that's not who you are. At the core, you are the godly soul. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes you don't allow the godly soul to express. That's true. But to, to, recognize, to, recognize, to be able to recognize that you have the godly soul inside, that is fundamental in order to see yourself worthy and be able to tap into the Netzach power more easily. So that is... In a, that is uh, on the surface, but it's a good view of what Netzach is about. And we're going to continue on to the next Safidah, to the next Midah, which is Hod. Now, Netzach and Hod, although they're two different powers, but they work closely together. In the human being, the Netzach and Hod, as you'll see, one represents the right leg and one represents the left leg. And uh, if, if we'll take this image and shape it into a human being, one will be the right leg and one will be the left leg. And the same way as with legs, the main purpose of legs is the walking, or to take the body from one end, from one side to the other. That's the main purpose of of, of a person's leg, and the leg in order to walk needs both of them. If one of the legs are missing, so it's pretty handicapped. But in, on the other hand, with the hands, besides clapping, so many of the functions of the hand could be done with one hand only. A person could write, could eat. I mean, of course, someone is handicapped, he doesn't have a, the other hand, but but the point is that they're not as dependent as the legs are. So Netzach and Hod, there are two powers that they work closely together. So we just learned about Netzach, perseverance and resistance and, and be able to hustle and push through. And now we're going to learn about Hod and how that complement each other. Okay, text number seven. Netzach, want to read? Sure. <clears throat> The word hod means acknowledgement, hoda'a, in the sense of recognizing the authority or status of someone or agreeing to the validity or correctness of something. Hod is also etymologically related to the word toda'a, expressing appreciation or gratitude. Hod is about hoda'a, recognition. This is also who we are as Jews. We are called Yehudim, or Jews comes from Judah, but Judah comes from Yehuda which means um, the source of it is hapam tashem, which means I'm, I'm acknowledging, I'm thanking God. And it's not coincidence that the Jewish people, the whole Jewish people, are called specifically after the tribe of Judah. Because 
question is if the, those 12 tribes and the Jewish people, why are we all now called Jewish? Because Jewish means someone who comes from Judah. But there might be people who are from the tribe of Levi or any other of the tribes or Kohanim or Levim. So why, why is it that we're called Jews or Yehudim? So there is a history behind it that there was uh, two different kingships and two different kingdoms it, within Israel. There was, the nation was split. So eventually the, the, the kingdom of, 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 of Yehuda, which was David, that's the one who, 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 who stayed in power. And, and, and that's why most of us are called Yehudim. But that's on a historical level. There's also a mystical level. Of why is it that way? Why is that we're called Jews and not Levites, or Jews and not, uh, you know, priests or Kohanim or many other, any of the other tribes? And that's because the power of Yehuda, the power of, of Judah, and that's the power of Hod as well. That is a essential part of the Jewish people. The fact that they're able to acknowledge or recognize God, it's part of our DNA. So although we do things that mundane things. We go to the bathroom, but there's a blessing after. We eat, or we, we eat, we drink, we say blessings before and after. We take mundane things and we're able to recognize where does it come from and who, who, who the credit go, really goes to. We're going to see where it starts in, the, in our, um, and, and, and is instituted in, in the prayers and all the way down to our daily lives, to our mundane tasks. Text number eight and uh, nine. Yeah, you want to read? We acknowledge that you are the Lord our God. Rabbi Helbo said in the name of Rab Huna, anyone who regularly greets you, you should greet with shalom first, as the verse states, seek peace, shalom, and pursue it to healing. And if that person greets him and he does not respond, he is called a thief. As the verse states, you have destroyed the vineyard. What you have stolen from the poor is in your house. What you have stolen from the poor isn't stealing from the rich, equally called stealing. However, the passage here refers to someone who has nothing else to steal other than not replying to his greeting of Shalom. Yeah, so text number eight says about the fact that we acknowledge and we recognize God. That's instituted in prayers. But being Jewish, it's not only acknowledging God and that, as we mentioned, that everything belongs to God, but even acknowledging the godly soul in each other that's also part of the DNA of being Jewish. It's also part of tapping into Hod and Mila acknowledging that we are, or, or who we are as human beings, but not as human beings who picked up a, bag, a baggage along the way, but human beings who are at the core a godly soul. As we see from the story here of the Talmud, yeah, the, the Rashi asks a question because in the typical way of, of the Gemara, the typical way of the Talmud is that there's nothing, there's no extra words. So if the verse says, you have destroyed the vineyard that you have stolen from the poor is in your house, there's no extra words in the, in the, in the verse. So the Talmud asks, why, why you need to say the poor? Why you need to say you steal from the poor? Stealing from the poor and stealing from the rich is both stealing. So you could say that you have stole, uh, you have stolen, and is in your house. Why need it from the poor? So Rashi himself says that that's the lesson, that there is a aspect of stealing that is from the poor. When you're not actually taking something from him, because he's, he's a poor guy, he has nothing on his name. There's nothing you can steal from him. But there's still something that you can take away from the other person. And that's his dignity. So Rash is saying that stealing from the poor is the, uh, from the story we see here, that we even need to acknowledge the dignity of the other human being, the dignity of the other Jew. And if we don't do so, so we're stealing from the poor. So in text 10, We're going to see that. Uh, Ethan, you want to read? Yep. The universe does not have an ultimate purpose. 
Man has a purpose in the universe, and each individual has a unique mission in his existence. His existence is not a biologic accident, and the particular mission which he must fulfill in his life is uniquely his, and cannot be accomplished by even billions of other humans. Yeah, this is along the, ways that we were, along the lines we were mentioning before. You need to acknowledge this point. You have something that you can contribute to no one else, and each one sitting here also has something that no one else can contribute. If we're able to recognize that, we're tapping into Hod. We're really being Jewish. And as we see it, not only from, not only from acknowledging or recognizing the godly soul or, or God, or even the godly soul in another person, but one of the first, the first words that we say when we wake up is about gratitude. So although it's not recognition or acknowledging, but it's also part of Hod, and that is gratitude, and it's essential in our development, in, in the development of our character. This goes together with, this is the reason why it goes together with Netzach, not to, not to forget about it, is that the whole point of Netzach, or that the whole point of, 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 of the perseverance that someone has to have, is because he acknowledges that he's part of a bigger is part of something that he only could accomplish. That is when Netzach and Hod really play together. That's when they, you could really accomplish and fulfill the mission, when you have the ability of knowing that Netzach, nothing could stop you, but at the same time acknowledging that it's not about you, it's about what you need to accomplish. As we read over here, that the universe does, the universe does have a purpose, and the person, each one of us, have a purpose. So when it comes to gratitude, First paragraph we say in the morning is There's a mistake over here. It's say instead of um, Which means, um, Josh, you want to read text number 11. I offer thanks to you, living and eternal king, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. This verse we say before even washing our hands in the morning. And what I mean with that is that every morning there is a residue of death or, or impurity. It says that it's left in the nails of a person. So each morning we wash our hands three times and we take away that residue of impurity that was left from our sleeping. Because when you sleep, you experience According to the Talmud, you experience one sixtieth of death. That's the experience of, of sleeping. When you wake up, everything leaves, everything leaves the body because your soul is back. But the nails, the nails has this um, in-between stage or in a, in a person's body because from one end, the nails grow from, from your body, but at the same time, you can cut it and it doesn't hurt. So the, this nail has like this you know, two-sided, that is part of the body, but is also not part of the body. And that that's where basically where, 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 where the impurity could still attach or hold on before completely leaving the body. It could still attach and hold on to the nails. So that's why in the morning we wash our hands and then we go on with our day. When do we say the prayer of Modani? Immediately when waking? As soon as we wake up. Before or after we wash our hands? Before. But the question is, why? You still have impurity. You still have impure hands. You should wash your hands. And then you should say, Modani. You should say whatever the, the prayer that you're saying. So if you go on the legal side, there's no name of God. So technically, you could also say it before. So that's the legal aspect of it, why we could say it. But, you know, beyond legal. Just if you're designing it into your day, there is a better way to do it. Although you could do it, it's legally you know, possible to do it before, but it's better if you do it after. So the Rebbe explains that there is, it's a very powerful message. And he says that there's nothing that can tamper with the ability of a Jew acknowledging God. Having impurity, not having impurity, whatever baggage someone has, that doesn't negate the ability that someone has to connect and recognize and acknowledge God. So sometimes you see people and they seem that 
they're totally disconnected. You know, they're, there's no even titles. There's no like, there's no titles for how far removed this person is from, from, moral, from morality and from, um, from godliness. It's totally out there. Rebbe is saying there's such a thing as, as his loss. It cannot be. They specifically designed the prayer of acknowledging and recognizing God before you wash your hands to say that they're washing hands or not washing hands. It's irrelevant when it comes to a Jew and the ability for him to recognize God. So from the beginning, we see how gratitude is essential for, our, our, for the Jewish life. It's the first Jewish ritual, if we say, that we do in the morning. But not only on a, on a weekly basis, we need to have the gratitude. We spoke, about a lot, we spoke a lot about gratitude in the course of happiness. Um, but even on a, on, on, uh, in the course of happiness, we didn't tackle where, what's the root of it, where it comes from. And that comes from the power of hood. And we're going to see that acknowledging or recognizing the blessings that we have is essential to have a happy life. Text number 12. Um, who was reading? Oh, I was. Oh, uh, no. Um, okay, so Zach. Yep. In answer to your letter, in which you write of the current state of your affairs, adding that all my life no good has befallen me, and conclude with a request for a blessing for yourself, together with your wife and children, may they live. It seems that you are unaware of the contradiction in your letter. For a man whom the Creator has provided his partner in life, and has blessed them with children, to say that all my life good has eluded me, is ingratitude in a most shocking manner. Hundreds and thousands of people who pray every day to be blessed with children, and would give all that they have for a single son or daughter, have yet to marry May God bless them with the speedy fulfillment of their heart's desires. While you, who, who receive this blessing seemingly without an overabundance of praying for it, do not recognize what a treasure and joy this is, writing as you do in your letter. I'm implying that one is supposed to struggle for a living, uh, or not enjoy perfect health. My point is that perhaps the reason for your weak health and your difficulties in earning a living is your utter failure to appreciate God's blessing to you in a far more basic matter than perfect health and abundant sustenance, the blessing of sons and daughters who follow the words of God. When one does not recognize the explicit good bestowed from above, particularly when one's lack of recognition is so extreme that it results in statements such as your you express in your letter. It is any wonder that blessings are not forthcoming from above in other matters. My hope is that these few lines will suffice to open your eyes to see your situation in its true, in its true light. And when you begin to serve God with a true and inner joy, surely God will increase your, his blessings also in regard to health and sustenance. I trust that you have set times for Torah study, both for its exoteric teachings as well as the teachings of Hasidut. In any case, do so from now on. It would also be proper to examine your tefillin, as well as the mezuzot in your home, and set aside several coins for charity each weekday morning before prayer. And this is a powerful letter that the Rebbe sends to this person who... Um, in the typical way that uh, we get the letters or that we learn letters from the Rebbe is that we don't really have the access to the letter that was sent to the Rebbe. But the Rebbe answered through his secretariat, so we have those letters. The letters that he sent out, we have access to those letters, but we don't have access to who was the sender or what was his original letter. Or from the answer, we're able to understand what the um, um, we were able to understand what the person was uh, writing in the letter, and apparently this person was writing that his wife and his children, you know, they'd never seen anything good. The Rebbe was saying you're you're lacking the ability to recognize and to uh, to be to, to be thankful for what you have. So it's not that you're not having any good because. It's not that you're not happy because there's nothing good happening to you. It's the opposite. You're in such a state of, of closed mindedness and, and, 
and, and, and, and lack of appreciation that you don't see any of the goods around you. It's a different mindset. It's a different mind, uh, mindset, that sh shift in mindset. That's what the Rebbe was saying. And that is sometimes when we're going through challenges to recognize, to, to have the ability, okay, you know, this might be hard, but guess what? My health, my family, um, all the things that good that we do have, that need to be come forth in our front and that needs to be our focus. And the change in, in mindset, that's what's gonna bring an open and many other opportunities and we're able to see the goodness in our life. Not only when it comes to our life or, but our, or, or things that happen to us, but we even see from Moses, as we're gonna see in text 13, that um, it's not only for ourselves, but either for other people or even objects as well, we need to be sensitive, we need to be able to acknowledge and recognize. So we'll see what I mean in text number 13. Um, Elizabeth, you want to read? God spoke to Moshe saying, attack the Midianites and smite them, for they harassed you with their conspiracy against you. To have the Israelites worship Peor and in the matter of Kosbi, who was sent to seduce one of the princes. Moshe sent them and Pinkas. The Holy One told Moshe himself to exact revenge upon the Midianites, and yet he set others in his place. However, the reason for this was that Moshe had lived in Midian, Midian when he fled from the Pharaoh. Inhabitants of Midian gave him refuge and hospitality. Moshe said to himself, it is not proper that I should attack those who did me a favor. This can be compared to saying, don't throw stones into the well that you drank from. Yeah. When it came to, when it came to take revenge of the Midianites, Moses didn't take part of it. Moses sent Pinchas to, to do that task because Moses was acknowledging what he got from the Midianites when he was escaping Pharaoh. We see as well in text 14a, um, Shaka, read 14a and 14b, and we're going to see that even the Egyptians, who also had a systematic way of oppressing Jews, but as, as well there is a there's an aspect of gratitude from our end that needs to be evident. Okay. Do not despite the Egyptian, for you were an immigrant in his land. Should we not learn from this uh, Kalva Homer, uh, for theory, i.e. even more so, uh, the Egyptian who welcomed the Israelites uh, for no other reason than personal benefit, how much <clears throat> more so should we show our appreciation and gratitude towards a person who has uh, you as a guest and gives you a food and drink this is also recognition that we need that that um, Hashem says in the Torah that we cannot despise the Egyptians because we were hosted by them, meaning when the Jewish people went down to Egypt, so um, they stayed in the land of Egypt with Joseph and that whole story. Eventually they became uh, enslaved in Egypt, but until then they enjoyed of, of their Egyptian hospitality. So the Torah is saying when Egyptians um, convert to Judaism, not, 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 not uh, the first generation, but says that you're going to wait until the third generation of converts and then you're able to marry in to, um, to an Egyptian family. But not more than that, because they were grateful to us as well. So since they had our, since they, were, they hosted us when, you, when, when the Jewish nation needed a place, so therefore we need to have acknowledged that as well. Um, nowadays, we don't have the prohibition or the prohibition of not marrying a an Egyptian, although he converts, it's not really um, something that is applicable today because at a certain point in history, I, I don't remember when, um, there was a Roman general whose name was San Kharif. I don't know what was his English name, but San Kharif says that he bilbel haolam. What he did is he wanted to, um, to, he wanted to make sure that there was no civil revolutions. 
So what it did is, instead of having you know, people coming together and rebel against the empire, what it did is he separated and scattered civilizations. He took Egyptians and he took them to Europe and Europeans to Africa. All those were under his empire. So basically, you have suddenly you know, a, 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 a city that is a fifth uh, Egyptians, a fifth uh, Portuguese, a fifth, uh, you know, different cultures. They're not able to communicate. They're not able to get along. So for a revolution to happen, it will be, take much longer time for everyone to come together and being able to rebel. So nowadays, all of the prohibitions of not marrying an Egyptian that don't apply since we don't know who is who, who is what. Um, but that aspect of being able to recognize um, even the Egyptians, it's part of, of the Jewish identity. That's, you know, that's the other extreme of Hod. That's the, 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 the inner core of Hod is the ability to recognize who we are, the ability to recognize the godly soul. God is in the world. That is the core of Hod, that all our nitzachon, all our persistence needs to be channeled correctly with Hod. But as well, when it comes to even something so external as Egyptians, not necessarily someone from Egypt, but the concept of an Egyptian. Even there, we need to have Hod as well. We're going to finish with the story of, um, I heard it with the Chafetz Chaim, that once he was going to be hosted by one of his students of a, of a, in a different city, a different town. And he sent a messenger, or, or he got, he, once he, he decided to host him, he was preparing for weeks, making sure that everything is in order. And, and, um, and finally, when yeah, the, the Chafetz Chaim comes to town, and he, he stays by him, they go to Shul, they come back from Shul, and the wife is, whatever, the, 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 the wife was getting ready the, the house or, or setting up, and the chalas and the table were not covered. So the husband got all, you know, upset at the wife, how come the chal is not the cover, you know, we have this big rabbi coming, the chal is to be covered, and then it was giving it to the wife. So the Chafetz Chaim stopped him, and it was like, ask him in the first place, do you know why we cover the chal? Do you know what, what's the, what's the reason that we cover the chal on Shabbat in the first place? So the Chafetz Chaim continues saying that the halacha says, the Code of Jewish Law says that since technically, According to law, you're able to sanctify the day, which means you're able to do the kiddush, or the blessing that we say on the cup of wine. You technically able to say the same blessing on a challah. So, you know, if someone doesn't have wine, he he doesn't skip kiddush. He says the same blessing, but instead of saying bore priyagafen, which is a blessing on the wine, he says amotzilech minaretz, which is a blessing on the bread. So legally, you could say the blessing in either the wine or the bread. Now, since it's more prestigious and there's other sources that we see that doing it on wine is, is better, so that's why we go for wine. But nevertheless, we don't want to shame, or we don't want to offend the challah. That's why we cover the challah. So we cover the challah. The challah is like, it's in the picture, but is really not paying attention to what's happening. So the challah is not going to get offended. We're able to go ahead and make kiddush on the wine. The question is, have you ever seen a challah complaining about, you know, hey, maybe say the blessing on me? You know, what's the, what's, I mean, it just goes all the way into the book of Jewish law. So there must be something more than not to offend the challah. Who wouldn't want the challah about it? One. That was horrendous. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's okay if you don't repeat it. <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to tell me later. Um, so there must be something deeper than, than, than not offending. And the point is, uh, this is the, the point also that the, that the Chafetz Chaim was telling to the host, is that what the sages wanted to teach us through this whole you know, situation is to be sensitive to the challah, wanted to nurture or to create that sensitivity within us to the challah, to be able to have the recognition of the challah's feelings. Now, 
course, the Chalas is not going to get offended. But the message is to us to be sensitive to the other. Not only someone who's very important, but even a Chala that will never complain. A Chala that we end up being chopped up and eaten by everyone in the table, you have to be sensitive to that as well. And if you're able to instill sensitivity and to acknowledge the other, even when it comes to a Chala, so how much more will we be able to instill sensitivities and respect to each other? So this ability is from the power of Hod. This ability to recognize and to acknowledge comes from Hod. And having Netzach and Hod together, internalizing it and really tapping into that power is something that is good not only as, as, as in, in work and in, in life, but it's something that is, is, is spiritual, something that is, needs to happen. It's not about me, it's about what I need to, it's about what it's needed from me now. So l'chaim l'chaim, you should be able to really tap into that power, and, and yeah, l'chaim. I'm already preparing for 